you. Let me give a quick synopsis of the background. Good morning, guys. Uh, the background of what's happening in this book. So if you haven't been here, let me just remind you of what's happening. Paul, who was once not a Christian, he was a practicing Pharisee. He was a practicing Jew. He was persecuting the church because the church was giving basically what, what the Jews believed was a new message, that salvation didn't come from adhering to the law of God, the do's and the don'ts of God, uh, that, that, that now salvation came through the grace of Jesus. And, and to the Jews' horror, they, they were told, they were now being told that Yahweh, God, came in flesh and that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And, and so that was who Paul was. And Paul ends up becoming a Christian. He ends up getting saved miraculously. And not only does he become a Christian, he becomes uh, the author of, a lot, of much of what we have in the New Testament. And so he loved God so much he persecuted the church, then he realized the church was actually the real church. He, he, he is converted, he is born again, and then he starts to teach that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And as he's doing that, he's planting churches, and, and he's building up leadership, and he's, he's pouring into people that they would come to the saving grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the new message that we learn from Paul, that we learned from Jesus, is that you no longer have to adhere to the law of God to be saved. You don't have to do things to become a Christian, that Jesus has accomplished all of that, and that salvation is by grace alone in Jesus alone. And that we get that ultimate truth about Jesus from Scripture Alone, And so Paul plants this church, and all of these individuals who were not Jews start to get saved. Uh, men who, who had nothing to do, women and families who had nothing to do with the Old Testament faith, nothing to do with the Pentateuch, nothing to do with that Old Testament stuff. They started to hear the gospel. They believed upon Jesus Christ. They became part of these churches. And then Paul, Paul in planting them, would move on, and he'd plant other churches. Now, while Paul was gone from Galatia, a group of, of Judaizers, a group of men, a group of Pharisees snuck into the church and began to say a couple things, two things. Number one, Paul's not a real apostle. You can't trust Paul's words. Uh, number two, yes to Jesus, but also, also yes to salvation by the law. All of that, which is the cleanliness laws, all of what is called the Mosaic laws, the uh, Levitical laws. All of these to-dos and to-don'ts that in order to be saved, you have to believe upon Jesus. So it was faith in Jesus and works of the law. It was doing that which is good and not doing that which is wrong. And so Paul hears that. He hears that the church is being maligned. It's being manipulated and the truth is being distorted. And so he writes this letter and he's a little frustrated. And you see in Paul, as he writes this letter, that he's, he's filled with love. He, he's filled with compassion. He's angry. Uh, at one point in the letter, we haven't even got to it yet, he says, see with which, with which large letters I'm writing to you. He, he is passionate, and he's yelling, and he's frustrated at the Galatians that they've exchanged the gospel of grace for a gospel of the law. Now, let me just say something that I think is really important. Uh, I shared it with the first service. It's worthy to share here as well, just by way of reminder and by way of teaching. When you become part of a church, uh, you should be part of, we would hope, a biblical church. And the church said, amen, right? You can say it. It's okay. Right? Group participation is okay. And, uh, and when, we're, when we realize we're part of a biblical church, 
we recognize the church should operate within a biblical way. And Paul exemplifies this in this letter. And what I mean by that is, is that, that we, first of all, have a head pastor, a leader within the church. And you know, because I've said this before, but I got to keep reminding you because it's important. The other day, <clears throat> my uh, kids and myself were, were leaving our Awana program. And as we were leaving, there was a few people walking in. And one of the kids said, hey, uh, I, we need to get our, um, our box cars. So in Awana, they build these box cars and then they race them. And I was busy, and all I can think about at that time of night is get the kids in bed so I can sit on the couch for some peace and quiet. And so I didn't want to enter back into the church building, and I said, I will get the boxcars tomorrow. And, and one of them said, oh, yeah, you can do that because you're the head pastor. And that's where we're, as we're leaving. And, and you can, you know, his chest all puffed out. He doesn't realize how uncool it is to be a pastor. Nobody thinks it's cool to be a pastor except for other pastors. I don't know if you know that. So we're leaving, and, and I said, no, 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 no. Remember, remember, it was Joe, and I said, remember, I'm not the head pastor. Jesus is the head pastor. Amen? He, he's our priest. He's the one who accomplished everything necessary for salvation. He's our leader. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's our, our counselor. He's our guide. He's everything. And, and then what Jesus did through Paul and through others is he established healthy leadership, and he established under-shepherds, of which I am an under-shepherd the chief under-shepherd under the chief of chief of chief of shepherds. And as an under-shepherd, it's my job to do what Jesus has called me to do, which is number one, my number one job is to teach and preach that which has already come from the word of God. Amen? If my job is not to tell you my opinion, even though I'll do it on occasion. My job is not to, to share with you what I think is right or wrong. My job is to share with you the goodness of Scripture. That's my number one job. My number two job, and as a church, you should, just so you know, you should demand that your pastors and your leaders teach expositorily from God's word. You don't need someone giving you a pep talk. You don't need a TED talk. You don't need to get online and watch all that, that stuff. You've got plenty of places to do it. In the church of God, we need God's word, okay? Number two, my job is to love you, <laughs> which is hard for me to do. I mean, look at you, right? Um, <laughs> it's hard for me to do. It is sometimes difficult, but it is your, your pastor's job to not only teach you the word of God, but to do is what Pete, Paul is doing here, to love you well, to guide you. And, and we're blessed in that biblically, remember I said the leadership should be established biblically, and that leadership is you have a pastor, such as myself, my primary job is to teach and preach, to care for you and love you, but we have because the Bible then establishes that there should be pastors and there also should be, should be what, Andrew? Elders. There's elders in the church. What is an elder? They're really old people who stand there. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> elders are other biblically qualified men that Titus and Timothy tell us that, that number one, that a, a, an elder has to have the ability to also teach the word of God. That's what separates elders from deacons. I don't have time for deacons necessarily this morning. But the elders help me love you well. Because I can't love everybody. <laughs> I can love some of you. Uh, I can love you when you're, you're in front of me. But it's hard for me to stay in touch with everybody within Sierra Bible Church and the Christian community as a whole within Truckee. And so we have a delegated group of men who help with that. And you know what else their job is? To hold me accountable to loving you well and to teaching and preaching 
God's word. So their job is every now and then pull me aside and say, listen now, you, you need to make sure that you're staying truthful to God's word. Listen, you need to make sure you're loving your wife well. Listen, you need to make sure you're loving your children well. And through this leadership that God has established, hopefully we have the healthiest church possible. Okay, are you with me? Now here's, here's the added uh, piece to this. I would add to it. It'd be great if it wasn't me sharing it, but I'm up here preaching. It's, it's our job to care for you. And in fact... Our elders get together every year for a couple days, and we pray for the vision of the church, pray for the direction of the church, and we pray for you. You're on a list. If you've signed something up with your name, and we know that you attend Sierra Bible Church, you're on a list that's been divvied up amongst our elders, and they pray for you on a regular basis, and occasionally, hopefully, they reach out to you and say, hey, how are you doing, right? If you have somebody who passes away in your family, we, we have pastors here who are here regularly to pray for you, counsel you, guide you, and love you. Many of you have been part of, of that kind of love. Now, as we love you, guess what your job is? To love us back. I know that's hard to do sometimes, right? Because after all, look at us. It, it's hard, but it's your job as the body to love your pastors, elders, and your shepherds and to help care for them. All that to be said, th- this, this is important as we read this book to the Galatians because Paul, Paul has not only established that he is a teacher and a preacher that, that can establish the word of God for us, he also is a pastor who loves his people. So, so big picture as we, before we dive into the rest of the, the context here, the church, this is important stuff for us to be reminded of, the church has to demand of its leaders that they are biblically gospel-centered and it has to demand of its leaders that their leaders actually care for the people in the church. Are you with me? That's good news. Isn't that a great grace? It's a great grace that God has seen fit to put men and women in your life who will literally care for you. And every now and then, we need a good leader to look at us and say, you're messing up and you're not being gospel-centered. So, so all that to be said, that's my, that's my tangent. Is that a good tangent for some of you this morning? I hope it is. hope it is. This is, as Wayne would say, he wouldn't do it with that face, though. That's offensive to Wayne. All right. We're going to pick up now in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. So um, this morning, if you're able to, uh, you know we have a tradition. We honor God's word because it's God, boys. Would you stand with me as we read these verses from Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10? For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Lord, increase our faith this morning. Be the center of our attention this morning. May we adore you and focus on you. And if there is anyone in the room who needs your guidance and help, would you give it this morning? If there's anyone here who is in need of saving grace, would you bestow it to them this morning? And we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said, 
Amen. All right, so now, you may be seated, sorry. Um, so now, Paul shares with us this reality that, that now remember, that there's language here that, that at first glance, if you don't have someone like myself trying to teach you what it means, there's language here that can be confusing. He says, all who, verse 10, all who rely on the works of the law are under the grace. What does it mean to rely on the works of the law? To rely on the works of the law is to rely on your own efforts, your own knowledge, your own doing for good and and ensuring you're not doing bad. It's to rely on yourself to receive favor or forgiveness or happiness or joy from Jesus or from God himself. Uh, This is, again, one of the things that, that, that makes Christianity so radically unique is that we do not have to work and strive and fight and grit our teeth to get to a place of salvation. In fact, it was Luther who, in, in, in thinking about this verse, he, he actually read it from Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, this is where the verse comes from, the righteous shall live by faith. He was reading it one day, and, and, and Luther, who was the Catholic priest, was, was a guy who was doing everything he could to find favor from God. And there was these steps that if you climb them as a Catholic, if you climb these steps, it was said that they were the same steps in which Jesus uh, actually climbed to uh, before his crucifixion. And it was told on these steps that, that they were holy steps because Jesus' blood was actually shed on these steps. And so there was a practice which was common for Catholics to, to climb these steps on their knees. And, and, to, and it was, they were so long and so steep and it was such a hard thing that, that your knees also, if you would do it, they would become raw and calloused and, and most likely would come to a place where your knees were bleeding uh, as well. And Luther, Luther was reading this, this chapter, this verse from Habakkuk that, that Paul is quoting here, the righteous shall live by faith. And he was climbing the steps as a good Catholic priest trying to earn God's favor. And it, it, it stanced upon him that the verse from Habakkuk, Habakkuk came into his mind. The righteous shall live by faith. And in that moment, Luther realized, what in the world am I doing? And he got up, and we know that Luther then was the, the one who started the Great Reformation. And, and oh, by the way, uh, during Trunk or Treat uh, on October 31st, does anyone know what that day is? It's the 502nd year anniversary of the Reformation, where the, where the Protestant church the Orthodox Protestant Church was born. Isn't it interesting to think that, that, that those who will celebrate Halloween, it's the same day that you, you and I, are, we're here because of that day. Did you know that? Whether you like Luther or not, that you're here because of that work. So, so he, he, he's telling us now, he's saying, listen, if, you, if you're living by the law, if you're climbing the steps, whether metaphorically or actually physically, if you're going to a priest every single week and, and you're confessing your sins to him in hopes that God would be happy with you, Paul says here, he says in this passage, he says, if that's you this morning, if you're trying to earn God's love, the bad news this morning is that you are actually under a curse. You're cursed. And to live that way is to live a cursed life. It's to be under a curse. It's to live under a curse. And there's this darkness that one feels. In fact, as Paul was quoting this, the history behind this is, is actually pretty deep because as Paul was quoting this, 
Paul was very, very closely associated with as, as a Jewish individual, as a leader within the Jewish church of the day, Paul knew what it meant by those curses. In fact, in the promised land, when, when the people of Israel were in bondage and slavery to Pharaoh, and God sends Moses to free them from their slavery, to, to free them from their curse, if you will. And as, as they're freed and they're, they're, leaving, they're leaving Pharaoh, and, and later as they start to enter into the promised land, and they're coming through the promised land, what happened was the 12 tribes that God established, six of them stood, uh, six of the leaders stood on one side of a mountain, six of the other leaders stood on another side of the mountain, and as they entered into the promised land that God would give his people, on one side of the mountain, uh, the tribes would recite the blessings of God. On the other side of the mountain, they would recite the curses of God, the curses for not obeying the law. And this is these are some of the curses before you here in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Listen to these curses. Cursed, cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. That is to say, cursed be anyone who worships anything other than Jesus, even if it's Netflix or skiing. That's what that means. Some people make their ski poles and their skis into an idol and into a god. One of the things that we have to do as pastors in the Truckee community so that we can get people who worship Jesus is to actually understand the idols that exist within our culture, within the Tahoe Basin, <clears throat> which one of the major idols in the Tahoe Basin is recreation, right? You don't want to admit it, do you? <laughs> what what <clears throat> the Old Testament says is, and, and here's the idea behind idols, anytime you go to something other than God himself to alleviate or to deal with your depression or your anxiety or your anger, that is idol worship. And so it says here, cursed be the person who does this. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. Anyone guilty of that this morning? No? Man, this is a good group of people. I might as well ask the internet. <laughs> Are you with me? Has anyone dishonored their father or their mother? Two in the back. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. It's like an auction. Can I get two? Can I get three? Can I get four? Can I get five? Six, confess, admit, you, you have, you've done this. We've all done it. And I'm saying it, I'm saying it, and the Bible says it, so you understand the depravity of man's soul. Cursed anyone who perverts the justice of the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow. Cursed be anyone who does not conform. This is the big one. Cursed be anyone who does not conform the words of this law by doing them. Anytime you've not done the law, anytime you've not done that which is right, the Bible says you're under a curse, and to live to try to do it is to live under a curse. Paul knew these curses so very well as a leader, but he also knew them as a born-again Christian. You want to know how I know? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that as he went about preaching the gospel, that the Jews actually pulled him off to the side, whipped him, what's called 40 minus 1. They whipped him 39 times as punishment for preaching the gospel. Remember that? You know how many, remember, did you hear what, how, how many times that happened to Paul? Five. I, I'm not quick enough on my math to, to say what is 39 times five, but it's a lot of whippings. It's a lot of blood and it's a lot of beating. It, it's a big punishment to take. It crippled most men. Paul had, it happened to him five times and the customary practice in the whipping was for those who were whipping the person 
who was being whipped was for them to recite the curses of the law. So as Paul is being beaten for preaching the grace of God, he's being told, cursed be you for not adhering to the law of God. So now he uses the same language. He's saying, he's saying I, have phys- I physically know what it means to live under the curse of not adhering to the law. And here's the idea. The big idea is, is all of us are law breakers. Every single human being has broken the law. The shorter catechism says it like this. No mere man since the fall, that is Adam and Eve in Genesis, is able in this life to perfectly keep the commandments of God. But, this is, this is you know, the kind of English we love, but doth daily break them in thought, in thought, word, and deed. Notice the language at the end here. I know this is not fun. A lot of churches just avoid this altogether, and you, you should adamantly, adamantly declare that every church talks about this reality. Every one of us, every day, break God's perfect holy law, both in thought, in word, and in deed. You are utterly incapable of doing God's law perfectly. Every single person in the room. I like how our youth pastor, Caleb, put it on his Instagram post the other day. He says, the more, the more you see your own flaws and sin, the more precious and electrifying and amazing God's grace is to you. So we're under this curse because we're all lawbreakers. As Romans says, we've all broken the law. And then what Paul is saying in Galatians, this is so key. He's saying, listen, you're depraved, you're broken, you're fractured. Every single one of you, that's who you are. And and, and what you can't do is you can't change your brokenness by being a legalist or by being a good person. This is the message of Galatians. You're broken. You can't fix it. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. In fact, Tim Keller, he, he says it this way. He says, many Christians, though not all, testify that when they first became aware of their need for God, they went through a time of immaturity in which they became extremely religious. They diligently sought to mend their ways and do religious duties to clean up their lives. They made tearful surrenders to God at church services. They gave their lives to Jesus and they asked them into their hearts. He goes on and says, but so often they're really only resolving to be very good and very religious, hoping that this would procure the favor and blessing of God. And at this stage, they tended to have a lot of emotional ups and downs like children feeling good when they made a spiritual commitment and despondent when they failed to keep a promise of God. This leads to, and as he says here, they felt here a great deal of anxiety. They were, as Paul says here, he says a little later in this chapter, in chapter 3, like children under a tutor. They were on their way to discovering God in the gospel, but they're not there yet. You see, uh, I, w- I shared in the first service an example of my own life. Some of you know, right, my, my mom got saved around the time I was 12, and because of her salvation, I ended up getting saved. And so, so if you know our background, if you know my family's background, my mom uh, was w- basically living with and got married to later uh, a man by the name of Dave Richardson, which is my last name now. And, and Dave Richardson was a motorcycle rider. He rode a Harley when the only people who rode Harleys were actually uh, real, 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 real tough men. 
okay? Not just lawyers and doctors, but real dudes. And, and my dad, he built Harleys from the ground up. I have, a, I have two, two in my garage right now a 1971 shovelhead Harley uh, that he built, that he rode on as a young man. And, and man, he just was a tough dude uh, before he came to know Jesus. And those were the kind of guys, that was the kind of people my mom hung around. And, and I remember, I remember as a young kid, there was a place uh, just uh, past the river by Glenshire where those houses were. There was a lady there, and we would go visit this lady uh, who dated another motorcycle guy. And this, this lady, she, she handmade leather for motorcycle riding guys, you know, the, the bags and the vests and the, the chaps. And so we would go down there. It was kind of a tough, seedy area of Truckee at that time. And, and, and right next door was another house with another motorcycle riding guy. Some of you might remember him or, or you've maybe heard his name. His name was Tattoo Richard. And Tattoo Richard was a tattoo artist. That's the name, Tattoo Richard. I know, right? It's uh, super complicated. And, and Tattoo Richard was the kind of guy who would go into bars just to fight, just for fun. And, and he, he was a tattoo artist that, uh, that above, he lived above, and he had a shop below his house. And he was the kind of guy that, that he wouldn't give tattoos to anybody. He would give tattoos to people that he believed, for whatever reasons in his own mind, got tattoos. In fact, I, I remember on, on several occasions being around there and someone knocking on his door and asking for a tattoo, and tattoos, Richard would open up the door, look at him. He's a big guy, so he's always looking down at you. At least it felt that way to me, because I am five foot one. And... He'd look down and go, no, you don't want a tattoo. And he'd close the door. Someone else would knock on the door. I want a tattoo. Not you. And he'd close the door. In fact, this morning, I had a couple people share with me, I actually went to Tattoo Richard to get my first tattoo. And Tattoo Richard told me no. (laughs) Those are the kind of people we hung around. So now imagine that kind of background. That, that's what I grew up with. That, those were the kind of people I hung around. Everyone had a name that wasn't their name, like, like Grape. Grape was a guy. One-Eyed Jack was a guy. Uh, Jungle George was a guy. It was like a TV show. It was, it was chaos and weird. And then one day my mom gets saved, and, and, and she, she went from the motorcycle riding kind of gal to wearing dresses that were down to her ankles and wearing, wearing hats in church. She went into my room, and she tore down all of my posters. She threw away all my CDs. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. I mean, Really? Fresh Prince? You're going to throw him out? That, that, that's our home took a radical shift. And what Paul is saying here, and, and as my mom had matured as a Christian, and as our home matured as a Christian, we realized that those exterior things, the clothes you wear, the music you listen to, even the kind of TV shows you may watch, those things do not dictate whether you are a good Christian or a bad Christian. And Paul's saying, you can wear, you can wear a dress down to your ankles. It doesn't make you a better Christian. You, you can take your hat off in church. It doesn't make you a better Christian. You, you can make sure you wear shoes and a suit and tie on Sunday. It doesn't make you a better Christian. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's rebuking. That, that's what he's getting at. And he's saying, listen, you're depraved and you're broken and you think that somehow, some way, the exterior part of you and your actions is gonna save you? Absolutely not. You are hopeless. That's the wall that we've been pressed up against as people. And I would say to you that, that there, we've, we have two problems that we're dealing with within culture and society. One is our society is under that curse and it is broken and it is in desperate need of the saving grace gospel message that comes from the word of God, amen?
in need of it. And then I would also tell you, I would tell you that you as a Christian, you as somebody who's in church this morning, you need it just as desperately as the culture does. Because what happens is as you're a Christian for a period of time, you start to forget that if you live according to the law of God, you're under a curse. Even Paul shares with us, he says in Philippians, I couldn't get out of this curse. He says, I, I did everything right. I was a perfect person. You know, he listened to the Maranatha music. He, he had the right clothing. He did everything right, and he was no closer to Jesus because of it. And so we go, okay, I'm under this curse, and, and I can't get out of it. I can't earn God's love. He, Paul's telling me that, that I, what, what, what's the solution to this? The solution is in verses 11 through 14 as well. Let's read them again with that in mind. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God. No one is made right. Justified is a legal term. Nobody, nobody is out of their guilt and condemnation before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. And he goes on and says, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13 is the key. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming what? A curse for us. And then it quotes the Old Testament, for cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is the solution to removing the curse. The solution to removing the curse is that Jesus became the curse on our behalf. You've heard it sung. You've heard that song, Oh, the Great Rugged Cross. It's not just the old, Oh, the Great Rugged Cross. It's the, Oh, the, the Old Cursed Cross. We were living under a curse, and, and Jesus saw that we were under a curse. And notice it doesn't say that he took just the punishment for the curse. It says he literally became the curse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says it like this. For our sake, whose sake this morning, church? Ours. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thus, there's no boasting for anyone in this room for perfection because the only way you've been made perfect is because Jesus became your curse. And he took your curse and he took your punishment and he nailed it to the cross and became that curse on our behalf. And as he did that, there was a great exchange that occurred. He gave you his righteousness. This is amazing. There's a story in communist China in the revolution of 1948. In 1948, two, two men, their job for communist China was to go and destroy as many church buildings as they could. And as they were in one of the church buildings, they, they utterly destroyed it. And to take a break, that evening they laid down. And as they were laying down resting, they were talking. And one of them noticed a, a crucifix hanging in the, the church that they couldn't reach and destroy. Upon looking at that crucifix, one of the young men said, Do you see the picture of God? nailed to that stick of wood, and the other one responded, yeah, but what of it? And the first answered, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a God who suffered before. This is a new thing, a Savior who voluntarily suffers. You, you see, the Christian faith is not suffer to get God, deny self to get God. It's that Jesus has already denied himself every blessing from God the Father so that you could receive the blessing. He took the curse so you could get the blessings. This is why when he hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why, ha why, how, why have you forsaken me? 
It's an amazing picture, my friends, to see that Jesus did everything that was necessary for us to become flawless and perfect. And, and here's how he did it. There, there's, there's two things that happened here, and, and one of them, which gives us the implication of how he took this curse. Verse 13 tells us he redeemed us. The word redemption was used in the Bible for buying a slave's freedom. This is the way the Bible pictures us under the curse. That, that under the curse, we really aren't free. We can't say no to our own inclinations. Uh, this is why, you know, the, the mantra, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that, that's what sells. Like, like we're so self-centered. I mean, if you go and stand in line to get a soda at the burger joint, you'll notice how many people are frustrated that someone in front of them is taking too long. Right? It's not their fault. That's literally how fast the soda comes out. And yet you're like, yeah, you know, I just, just take your time. <laughs> Come on. Our culture as, as an American culture has become like way on the other end of the spectrum of feed self, take care of self, 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 self. It's under the curse. And social media only plays into that, especially for our young people, where it is said that the age group between 16 to 21 years old now is the, the age group that has more feelings of emotional isolation and loneliness and depression than any other generation before it, period. And, and what does our young generation have? Everything. And it's not enough. And I know this morning that many of you have come and you work hard and you try hard and you play hard and you're doing everything that you can, but deep down you know it's not enough. That's the curse. And the only way to lift that curse is for Jesus to redeem you from the curse, to buy you. The, the language that's used here, if you look at Galatians 3.22, just jump down a little bit. Very interesting language in this passage, but... The scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Do you see the word imprisoned? He's saying this scripture is another word for law here. It's another word for all the do's and the don'ts in scripture. That scripture, the Old Testament, has imprisoned us. It traps us. The walls are closed. And because of that, society and some Christians still live in a sense of bondage with an impersonal force that creates anxiety in their lives. But the good news is, is that Jesus has redeemed us from this. And not only has he redeemed us, this was number two. Number one was the redemption of God. He has purchased you with what, by the way, church? His precious, sinless, perfect blood. That's the cost of redemption, to buy you out of the slavery of Instagram, out of the slavery of Facebook and YouTube, and Netflix, and culture. Jesus wants to free you so you don't have to say yes to all of the sin, but you can finally say no to your bad attitude, no to your sin, and finally say no to the things that ultimately destroy you and cause self-suicide, and yes to that which will truly make you alive, which is Jesus. He has bought you out with his perfect blood so you don't have to live like the rest of the depressed world around you so that you can truly be the salt and the light in our culture and in our society. And then number two, he says, it says he heals us. Where do I get that? Not necessarily in this text, but from 1 Peter 2.24. Listen now. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Anybody got a past life they need healing from? Anybody got some past mistakes that they need healing from? Has anyone been sinned against that you need healing from? And it tells us here because of the work of Jesus, he can pull us out of the identity of that brokenness and give us a whole new life. And now, here's the next question. I hope you're asking it. Because I've painted a a picture of the gospel from the word of God this morning, which is, number one, you are under a curse. Number two, you're freed from the curse. You're freed from the curse because of the work of the cross. And now you might say, okay, well, wait a minute. I get that, but, but what do I do? Now, I, uh, I'll share something with you. Some of you know, I've shared it a little bit before. I actually go and see a counselor on occasion. Because I don't know if you know this or not, <laughs> pastors need counseling too. Okay? I call the, I, to the staff, I call them my therapist. So, well, my therapist says. And one of the things, I remember one day I was down there, I was telling him about something I was wrestling with. And, uh, and, and he, he looked at me, and he, and, and because I was in silence, and I was waiting for the next thing, you know, after he told me what was wrong with me. <laughs> Have you ever been in those counseling situa- situations where, where the pastor or the priest or, the, or whoever just says, this is what's wrong with you? And then he just leaves it hanging there? And so I was in that situation like, I know this. Now what? And he looked at me, and he goes, I'm not going to tell you to do anything. I came for, for you to tell me what to do. And this is what he said. He said, he said exactly what basically Paul is saying to the Galatians. You, you live off of your performance. And you try to make things right by doing a good job. He said, it's one of the reasons why you're an overachiever. It's why you've been able to do so many things coming from a broken home because, because you in your life have felt that if you do things the right way, then you'll somehow wipe away your broken past. So the last thing I need to give you is something to do. And he says, you know why? If I tell you to do something, I know what you're going to do. You're going to go, and you're going to do it. And you're going to do it well, and you're still going to have an issue in your heart. And I went, well, you got a point there. <laughs> and... And what Paul says is the same thing. He doesn't say in the text, and it's there for us, what the next step is. He doesn't say, okay, listen, church, and this is, this is, this is a big deal. You know, I, I've shared this on occasion here. He doesn't say, here's your 10 steps. Here's the five things you need to do. Here, here's the three ways to a better sex life. That's not what he says. He doesn't. He says, he says here's the solution, church. Here's the way to freedom, church. The righteous shall what? You live by faith. And you're almost, you're almost left with, what do I do? Live by faith. How? How do I do that? And the solution, the solution is, when you live by faith, the solution is to renounce living by your own merit, living by your own works. You renounce it, and you sit, and you be. You just be. And you sit with the Lord and you enjoy the perfect communion you have with God that Jesus purchased for you on the cross. And essentially what he told me was, just go sit with your Savior and enjoy his beautiful presence and stop trying to earn your identity. Stop trying to fix 
your marriage. Stop trying to make yourself happy. Would you just sit with Jesus and let him do it for you? And you know what? He could not have given me a harder thing to do. <laughs> and it is, it's the church's problem from day one. It was the problem in Galatia, and it's the problem in the current church today. And even some of you, you if I know some of you well enough, you're in your mind, you're thinking, well, now, don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You still got to do good things. You, you do, but the reason you do them is super important. You see, you can do, you can go and get circumcised and actually have it be a, a, an act of worship to the Lord. Or you can go and do it to try to earn God's favor. The, the, the motive matters. So as we say, you know, if you've come to church this morning, it's, I would implore you as a caring pastor, as a loving pastor, as Paul is here, I would implore you that you come to church not to make things right, but to be with God. And to be with people who are made in God's image. And to enjoy the fact that Jesus is present in the room with us this morning. And that he, as I said last week, he's not looking at you with tablets in his hands. He's looking at you with holes in his hands. And he's letting you know that you are completely, you are completely welcomed into the family of God. Now, I got to leave you with at least one thing to do. <laughs> With the right motive, you're like, oh, man, he couldn't get away from it. There is, I think, at least one major precept that has to be taught here in regards to our faith growing, in regards to our faith being what God wants it to be. And, and that simply is what the Bible says in regards to faith and the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Or another way to say it, faith comes from hearing the word of God. And then in Romans 10, 14, before that, it says that in order for people to hear, there has to be someone who's sent. And that person who is sent has to be preaching and teaching the Bible so that people can hear and their faith can grow. What am I saying? What I'm saying is that this morning, if you're saying, you know what? I want more of Jesus Christ. I want more of this idea of grace. I want to be liberated from the bondage and the curse that, that sin hangs over me. And I want to be filled what, what would I do in order for my faith to grow? And that simply would be, you got to read your Bible. You have to study. You've got to read. You've got to, and if you don't like reading, you're like, man, I hate reading because unfortunately, uh, I, I hate to say this, but our culture doesn't read anymore unless it comes with a picture and a meme. But can you put the Bible in a meme? I don't know. Probably not. But, but, you can, get, you can get audible. You can get, there's, a, there's an app uh, that my wife listens to on occasion called Streetlights. And it's, it's the Bible read in spoken word to music. And my wife, she'll, she'll do it anytime, excuse me, anytime that she has an opportunity. I won't doubt it if she'll do it later this afternoon. I'm going to go home. Some of you say, what do you do after church? I go home and I crash. I turn on a football game. I have every intention to watch it because I do play fantasy football. And then I fall asleep and find out later if I won or lost. But inevitably what will happen is I'm trying to watch my program. Allie will go into the kitchen. She'll do what she does in the kitchen. She puts on streetlights. And I'm watching football and I'm listening to scripture. Right? We have, church, you have no excuse in our advanced 
technological information age to not listen to and to not put yourself in a position to be listening to Scripture, to be listening to books or reading books or studying books, or I don't care how you do it, you have to do it because what's at stake isn't your favor with God. Listen to me carefully. It isn't, what's at stake isn't your favor with God. What's at stake is you forgetting that you are favored by God. What's at stake is for you to walk out of here this morning and go throughout this week and to get muddied up and beat up from life and all that life throws at you and for you to forget how blessed and graced you are in Jesus Christ. That was Israel's problem. That's the Galatian problem. And that is the New Testament church's problem here this morning. We have a tendency to forget the goodness of God and we gotta hear the word of God with the gospel at its center to be reminded, church, you are loved and you are favored beyond anything you could think or imagine. Can you just say amen to that? God is so good to us. Now, I got more precepts for you. <laughs> um, remember now, we do a couple next steps, so this is just the challenge during the week. I want you to ask these questions. Number one, how does knowing God's law increase your gratitude to Christ? What difference does this make to your affections, right? That's the key part here is that when you think of the law of God and how Jesus accomplished the law of God and what he did for you, it should increase your love for God. Do you know why you come to church? It isn't because you love everybody here. It's because you love Jesus. That's why we come to church. Number two, ask, why do you obey God's law and have you ever tried to obey it, but obey it for the wrong reasons? If you're like me, you have. And just take some time this week so that you can place yourself in the heart of the gospel, which is to sit in the very heart of Jesus himself. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we thank you that you've done everything necessary for our salvation. Lord, I, I, I at times believe that there's just this simple truth of the gospel and that you've earned everything for us, you've done everything for us. And in so many ways it can be simple to say, and yet I know because it's a struggle of my own heart, Lord, that, that I forget what it means to truly just be in the gospel and to truly enjoy you. And then springing forth from that, Lord, as an act of worship is obedience and, and love and kindness and mercy and, and wanting to be a better husband, wanting to be a better wife, a better father, mother, a better friend, a better son, or a better daughter, Lord. Would you order things in our hearts in such a way, Lord, that, that we truly would do what is right, not because we are trying to earn something from you for we have every inheritance already given from you, Lord, but that we would do it, Lord, truly that we would do it because we're madly in love with you and we want to glorify you in our actions. We want to see more people come to the saving grace of you because of your goodness. We trust you for this work, knowing we can't do it on our own. We truly need faith that is increased and founded upon the word of God. We trust you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we close in song?